Mac Power Users, episode 428, MPU Plus, recorded on April 23rd, 2018. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie. You sound sick. I have a little head something going on. We'll we'll see what's going on. I've gotta gotta kick the cruft out, I guess. There you go. I told you before, shot of whiskey. In fact, I think you should do that. Just right now. We, it's fine. Yeah, before we record. And then It'd we'll be better if you started a half hour or an hour beforehand. And we'll see how things go a little bit later. I think everybody would like to hear Katie just unhinged once in a while. There you go. There you go. I do have a I, I do have some Gatorade here. I have grape not Gatorade. The same. That's not the same. Not the same. It's no, not fermented, not so probably not gonna be the same. Anyway, here we are again in an episode of MPU Plus. I, I really like doing these episodes. I like these because this is basically the you know, the show that everybody else does every week, you know, kind of what's going on, what's on their mind, and, and we only do it once a month or so. Well, not really what everybody else does. We don't really do much news, but it, it, it does allow us to kind of clean up. Uh, one of the things we're doing now, it's kind of interesting. Actually, this is kind of MPU plus worthy is uh, after years of working in Google Docs, Katie and I are managing this show in Apple Notes, uh, a shared note, and it makes it much easier to get information in there. So as we go through the month, anytime we come across something that's vexing about our technology or something new that we're interested in, uh, we just make a little note. It's stuff that's not big enough to make it into a separate show, but it's it's enough to uh, to talk about on Mac Power Users. And I really like this new system of just dropping in Apple Notes. Boy, did you like jump on that so incredibly fast. I was ready. I was ready. You're the one who always fights me on that stuff. We've got another show coming up that we're planning right now on the new iWork, and I've been doing the outline in a shared uh, pages document. And Katie's been strangely silent on that. I don't know if she's realized that I've sent her the invite and that we're doing that show. I figure if we're going to do a show on, on, on iWork, we got to plan it in iWork. Uh, but did you get that invite, or are you just like laying low? I, I, I got it. I saw it. It's it's somewhere in wherever the I work stuff, save stuff. I, you know, I don't know. Well, I, I am not. I mean, Google Docs is amazing in the sense that two people can be typing on the same document at the same time and there's never an issue. That is what makes it amazing. And I think that's the entire list. Uh, formatting documents there isn't fun or easy. Um, the uh, like even just like file management for a web based file management service, you think Google would be better at it than they are. And it's really not that easy. There's a lot of stuff not to like about it. So uh, if we can start pushing some of the stuff and, and we've done and gang, this is just how I work. Right. So Katie said, why don't we do MPU plus and Apple notes? I didn't respond. Yes or no. I just sent her an invite immediately because, because I have been doing that secretly forever. Because when I think of things for the MPU plus outline, I just put it in Apple notes so much faster, whether I'm on my iPad or my Mac to get it into Apple notes and not have to log into Google and do all that other rigmarole. So I would just copy and paste it into uh, the Google doc as we got closer to producing the show so I already had the document formed. It was not a big deal. And so you just hit the little plus button to share it with me. Yeah. And as soon as she said, let's do that, I sent her that. And as soon as I saw that she accepted it, then I moved our potential guest list. Then I got like 10 invite for Apple Notes. My, my The number of notes that I had in Apple Notes literally doubled overnight. 
Yeah. So all the, cause like all the planning stuff we do for the show, I feel like it would be the same thing. Let's make it easier on ourselves. I, cause I get emails from people all the time that say, Hey, I think I'd be a good guest. And, and a lot of those turn into guests, not all of them. I'm not making any promises if you're listening and getting ready to, to type, but the, I am interested in hearing from you. If you're an interesting guest though, because we don't want the, you know, the usual assortment, we do like having different people, but, but only if you really are interesting, not you just think you're interesting. So anyway, what happens is this is what happens. If you send me an email and if it all makes sense, I add you to our list and then I send you a snippet. I have to admit it's a snippet that says, this is a great idea. Thank you for sending it in. And then I think I say, but no promises. I always say no promises because I can't make a promise to everybody. But if your random PR person sends us an email, it just gets our cooked. Yes. If you say I represent so-and-so and she would make a great guest and she really loves your show and she doesn't even know my name, right? Uh, that gets deleted. But, you know, hearing from true potential guests, I love that. But uh, this is a long way to tell you. I have moved all that into Apple Notes that I'm now sharing with Katie, too. So when we want to talk about potential guests and on a, when we're on a call or whatever, we've got an easy way to see that. So I'm very excited that MPU Plus is now on an Apple product. It's going to be really hard to get me off this, Katie. So I'm just letting you know. Um, I'm afraid that I might have created a monster. Now, just to, I guess, let's give some feedback on that really quick. Uh, so we've both been working in the outline today. Uh, I've been putting notes in. Katie's been putting notes in. It's working okay. Katie, I'm typing in right now. And I just want to know, can you read this? So I typed right under the sponsor list. But no, I can't read it. Okay, so that'll, I'm just curious, let me know when that shows up, because... It's not real time. It's not real time. It's not the same thing you get with Google. If you if you truly need uh, two people typing at the same time, uh, you need that. Yep, it, it just popped up now. There you go. Okay, so that's not bad. You know, that's within, that's within a minute, but it's not immediate. So um, that's an issue. Anyway, uh, let's talk about some stuff. Last month, Apple did a, an education event on March 27th. Yeah, we haven't we haven't had an opportunity to really talk about the education event that since then. So the the good news is is it's been a month away now. So you've probably heard a dozen podcasts on it since then, um, and so we don't have to rehash everything that happened. Uh, big picture kind of stuff. Um, so Apple is uh, kind of re upping their game on on education. Really, I think just kind of telling everybody yes that education is is still a big big deal for us. Uh, why Why do we think Apple felt the need to do this event as opposed to just have a press release with a new 9.7-inch iPad? I, I think that, um, you know, I think Google Chrome is eating Apple's lunch. You know, they've got hardware that's cheaper. They've got better management um, tools for schools. I, I have a friend as a teacher who got, I guess he's Google certified and he got a raise and now he's got a bunch of job offers from other school districts because everybody wants these Google certified guys. It's just kind of the way things are going because it's it's cheaper and easier. And uh, Apple, you know, Apple's grip on the education market is, is definitely loosening because of this. They've lost a lot of market share. and They want to show that. And like I said, this stuff has been covered a lot over the last month. The thing I would the, the one Mac power user point I would put on this is, number one, if you're an educator, reach out to us because we may put something together with educators. We've heard from a couple already. We've had Fraser Spears on the show several times. And there's a there's a comment Fraser made on our show years ago when I asked him, I said, why would someone want an iPad instead of just, you know, a typical laptop with you know Microsoft Word? And his answer to me was, we're 
you know, we're teaching CEOs, not secretaries. And that has always stood out to me. And I do think that the iPad, despite the fact that it costs more and it's got some more, you know, troubles with it, is a great tool to teach kids to be CEOs, you know, to, to unlock their creativity, which is in some ways better than a laptop. But, you know, I'm not in the school, so I don't know what to say. Um, uh, I, I still think you need to have some some computer skills, some really com- basic computer skills. I'm, I'm a little nervous that we're not teaching people how to type anymore. I talked about that being one of the most important classes that, that I ever learned. I'm, I'm really nervous that we're not teaching people. I, I am shocked about how many people who are maybe a little younger than me, but, but still in my basic generation, really don't know how to manage email. I mean, that's not really a skill that we teach people. They don't know how to compose an email. I mean, I have someone who regularly sends me email with everything typed in the subject line. And um, I, I, where, where do you learn these things if you're not listening to Mac Power users? Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, my kids, just my, my laboratory is my kids. They They don't have any interest in learning how to touch type, but they... They do type remarkably fast on glass. Even just on an iPad, they type very fast. But I agree that they are, get very good at social media platforms, but they don't learn the Mac power usery or iPad power user type tricks, it seems like. And I guess that's just something you have to wait till you get to the workplace to do. I don't know. I, I think I would have been all over the Mac power users curriculum if I was in school, but I grew up a nerd. Um, one last thing on this education event, though, I want to talk about. Uh, Katie, have you gone into the Apple Store and played with these new iPads? No, I have not. Remember, I don't have an I- Apple Store nearby. But oh, that's right. You got to like take a boat and a train to get to one. But the um, all right. So I have, and I'll tell you, these are really impressive iPads. Andy and Otko and I talked about it on that show, so I won't go into it at real length here. But I feel like that Apple really has an amazing product here. Uh, when people ask me going forward, you know, they want to get into the Apple, Apple ecosystem, and I know that they're on a budget, I will have no problem recommending the $329 iPad. I think it's a great device at a, a really great price. So here's my conflict with the new iPad. I, I think I agree. I think it's a great device. It's a great price. I don't need an iPad Pro. I, I don't do anything super high horsepower on the iPad Pro. I'm not editing video. I'm not editing music. I'm not doing anything that I need an iPad Pro for. I'm not even using a pencil. I, I, I just never really picked it up. I The one thing that I love about the new iPad Pro that I still can't do with these iPads, I love the smart keyboard connector. I, that has revolutionized the way that I've used my iPad now I realize that I can get a, a Bluetooth keyboard and and even a a keyboard case type thing that really is connected by Bluetooth, but I've tried those before and it's never been the same. I love 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 that smart keyboard. It's absolutely changed the way that I've I've used my iPad. So I see myself in the future continuing to buy the iPad Pro model that is way more horsepower and way more expensive than something that I really need you know, solely for the smart connector. Now I'm probably an outlier and I, I get that. Um, and the iPad pro or the iPad, the, the new, um, 9.7 inch iPad is a great machine for people who probably don't have that need. And yeah, just, just pair it with a Bluetooth keyboard and it's fine. But, uh, that's, that's the one thing that I think is still going to keep me going to the pro. Yeah. It seems like you're slicing the onion pretty thin there. <laughs> 
I mean, there's some pretty great Bluetooth keyboards. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I've got one in the outline today I want to talk about. But the um, but I, if I had to pick, you know, what's the best thing Apple could do to this to this entry level iPad? Give it pencil support or smart connector support. I would, I'd go pencil every time. I think that's a it's a really good thing. But it is it is a great device. You know, the people listening to the show often are the people that their friends and family come to. And I I will give the uh, three hundred and twenty nine dollar iPad the Max Sparky seal of approval. I, I think it's a great a, a device, and and the cost is just right in there. So just about anybody can afford one. Yeah, it's it's the iPad that I'll be telling people to buy, and I can't help but wonder whether in a few months we're going to see a backlash because the average selling price for iPads has now gone down. Well, yeah. Who cares if they as long as they get more out there? I I don't care that much about Apple's stock price. They're gonna the company's going to continue to exist. It's fine, you know. The uh. But the uh, but I really think it's a great it's a great entry. Like it used to be a couple of years ago, you could say somebody tells you they need a Mac, you just say buy the MacBook Air, thirteen inch MacBook Air. You know that's it was like you almost didn't even question it. There was like you know ten percent of the rest of them you would recommend a Pro to. But now now it's not that easy on the Mac. But at least on the iPad, we've got the the go to selection. All right. Any more thoughts on the March twenty seventh event? You know, I feel like we're so far behind the the times on it. Now it, we're it, we're already looking ahead to WWDC to see what's coming out. Yeah, I'm going. I booked my room. I'm doing the whole thing. Hey, I got I had an interesting thing happen uh, last month, and I thought, hey, as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, I need to write this down so we can talk about it on the next MPU Plus. See what you're going to do about it. So I was at a event a. a thing full of lawyers, a bunch of room full of lawyers. And it was actually a talk that was uh, uh, given by the folks over at Rocket Matter. Our good pal uh, Larry Port hooked me up. And uh, it was all about uh, security and uh, included topics about like securing your devices and those things, and which I thought was interesting. And uh, after the talk, uh, we were cleaning up. I was, I was one of the people who organized it, so I was staying late and helping cleaning up. And uh, one of the members of the wait staff came up to me and handed me an iPhone. And I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. But I already have one of these. And he said, uh, no, somebody uh, somebody left this. And um, you look like you're in charge here. So I'm going to I'm going to give this to you. And, and uh, so two things. One is it was uh, an iPhone. I think it was an iPhone SE because it was small. Oh, my gosh, David. I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is like a little toy phone. Aren't you so cute? Look at you, little thing. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, oh, I just over the weekend did an episode of a MacCast with Adam Christensen, and we talked about the old days, the like the original iPhone. We spent most of the show talking about um, the history of the iPhone. And it's just remarkable when you go and look at like the pictures of the original iPhone, how much smaller it is to what we get now. Well, so I'm sitting here and I'm holding this phone in one hand and I'm holding my iPhone 10 in the other. And I got to say, it's it's a nice size. It's very teeny tiny, but it's a nice size. You know, I part of me kind of longs for the smaller phone. Um, but then it was all kind of beat up and scratched and didn't have a case. And I was like, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't really need this, but it was locked. And there was, there was no identifying it had, you know, standard wallpaper, no case, no nothing. And so I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this phone and I'm trying to figure out how I I said, well, where did you find it? And he said, I I don't know. One of my guys picked it up off a table and nobody else is around. So I got to figure out how do I get this iPhone? I mean, there were a hundred people in this room, how do I get the iPhone back to who it belongs to? So what'd you do? Well, there are a lot of things you could do. So what I want to talk about is like, number one, what do you do to get the iPhone back to where it belongs? 
And number two, what do you do if you're in this situation to make sure that, you know, Katie Floyd has your iPhone, how can she figure out how to get it back to you? Or if anyone on Mac Power users. Um, fortunately, the first thing I thought about worked. Um, so the first thing I did uh, is I asked Siri who the iPhone belonged to, and she told me. That's nice. So um, if you've set up Siri and you've told Siri who you are, uh, you can ask Siri. And you've enabled Siri so that she works on the lock screen. Um, and you ask Siri, whose iPhone is this? Uh, she'll tell you. She'll say, I, I believe this iPhone belongs to and she'll give you um, some basic contact information. Yeah, and that adds its kind of own separate set of security problems, obviously. If someone picks up your phone, they can actually get quite a bit of information just talking to Siri. They can. Um, now, Apple has locked this down over the years, so I tried it on my phone. And uh, if you ask uh, my phone, uh, who does this phone belong to, uh, Siri will give you uh, my iPhone number, and she'll give you my work number, but she won't give you my address or any of that other information that is contained in there. So Apple's done a pretty good job of locking this down. You'll still be able to get some information about like, you know, who was the last phone number that was called and those types of things, but you're not going to get as much information as you used to be able to get from Siri on a locked phone. If you start asking, uh, you know, too many questions, Siri will start asking you for a password or a passphrase, which is nice. So that's good. They've done some, some work, but, but Hey, it worked. It, it was allowed me to, to figure out who the iPhone was. And, um, I was I, I knew who that person was. I was able to send them an email um, through their work email address and just told them, hey, by the way, I've got your phone. You can pick it up in my office the next morning. And uh, they did. And I must say that when they came to my office to pick it up, and, and of course, I, I didn't tell them, uh, they were very uh, curious to know how I knew it was their phone. Did you did they bring you like flowers or chocolate or anything? They, they did not. Um, I, you know. I, I was a little shocked about that. Personally, I think, you know, the phone was older and it was beat up. I think that they've been like randomly leaving their phone places so that they would be able to get a new one. And maybe I just foiled this, this master plan, yeah. but maybe not. Uh, I will tell you what I did though, before, before I took the phone home with me for the night uh, is I turned it off because I didn't want, you know, the cops showing up at my door because I, you know, quote unquote, stolen somebody's iPhone and they had found, you know, ping to find my iPhone to get it back to my house. So after I figured out who it was and I sent the email, I sent the email and then I turned the phone off and I actually said in the email, I'm going to turn the phone off now to, you know, save your battery. What what I was really doing was to turn the phone off now. So, you know, it couldn't be located at my house. My, my youngest, like she drops her phone like daily. It's just, I, I've never seen someone that treats a phone like a, a, a butter stick, but she just drops it constantly. So we always have like one of the good cases on it that, that can you know fall off the roof and not break the phone. And one day we were walking downstairs together and of course she dropped it down the stairs and it's one of these otter box cases. So it was fine. But I turned to my other daughter. I said, geez, she really hates that phone. <laughs> you know, and, the, uh, and now that's like a, a meme in my family. Every time you see somebody drop a phone, it's like, uh, he, he really hates his phone. Yeah. So anyway, I was thinking, what if this person hadn't had Siri configured, or what if you didn't want Siri configured from the lock screen? Um, you know, is there some stuff that we should be doing proactively, like while you're listening to this podcast, what should you be doing, you know, so that if someone does pick up your phone and is a good Samaritan like me, uh, you know, how could they get your phone back to you? But what about the emergency information in the health app? Um, that's a good one. That was another one that I thought of. So um, in all of the iPhones, I think since uh, iOS 10, if you go into the health app, there's a way that you can configure your emergency information 
And you can not only add your information, but you can also add contact information, you know, for a couple of key relatives um, and their contact numbers. So that right on the lock screen, uh, you can swipe over and you can also share some basic health information like, if you know, what is your blood type? If you're an organ donor, if you have any, um, you know, critical health needs, uh, you can add that information on the lock screen. Now, first responders, I know, are pretty trained to, to look at this. Hopefully other people now know that this is here, but that's that's a good place to add it. I, I don't know, you know, how many bystanders would know to look here, but I, I think it's growing in popularity. So that's a good place to put stuff. Another way to do it is just, you know, when you make your custom lock screen, just just put text on it. You know, like if you've got a picture of flowers or whatever background you like for your lock screen, you can go in any text app. You can even do it in preview and just drop in text and put your name and contact information there. So anybody that turns it on can get that information. Yeah, I'll tell you, that's probably my favorite way because that's that's probably the most foolproof way without, you know... You just turn on your phone and there's some basic contact information. I will warn you, um, don't don't put your iPhone's number on that lock screen because that's not going to help <laughs> you very much. No, no, you know, I think I, I we're not going to give you that warning. If that's if that's what you do, I think you, you deserve you know. it. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fact, our, our buddy uh, uh, Rose, you know, she's so smart. She created a uh, workflow workflow that will do this for you. Oh, it'll just add the information. Yeah, it's, you, you could do that, but it's really not that hard. You got preview on your Mac. You can do it on Pixelmator, just about any app. You can do it on your Mac or your iOS device. Um, but that's a good idea. I used to, uh, back in the days that I regularly kept a case on my phone, is I just printed out a label. You know, use a li- one of those label maker machines. I put my name and phone number, uh, obviously not my iPhone phone number, but my other phone number on the device. And I just stickered it onto the back of the device. But I carry my phone so often without a case that I, I can't stand to look at it that way. Yeah, that's a good thing. And, you know, you might as well do this um, on your Mac, too. We should mention that you can customize the lock screen on your Mac in your security preferences as well. So I did that as well. Yeah, and, and the Mac, it's built into the operating system. So I, I think this really should be on iOS even more than on the Mac, but they haven't got around to it yet. But that should be something right in the preferences where you can say just overlay this you know name and number on the lock screen. Why not? And then no matter which wallpaper you use, it's always there. And maybe on your Mac, like to put on the underside of your Mac, a sticker is not as bad of a thing. Still not great, but you know if you're sticking it on the bottom or on an iPad, I mean these are all things you could do anyway. And then um, you know, find my iPhone is the big one. If you activate find my iPhone then you you should have it turned on by default, but you can then send a message out to somebody saying, hey, this is my iPhone. Can you call me? Yeah, and all this is assuming that your phone gets picked up by a good Samaritan. I mean, they're there. And I, I honestly believe that most people that pick up a phone are trying to find the owner. They're not going to say, oh, I'm going to go do something with this. I mean, it's actually hard now to take a found phone and turn it into value because the way if security is set up properly, the phone is basically a brick uh, until, you know, it gets reset properly. And then obviously the big thing, have a passcode lock on your phone. That's so important now. Yeah. I, I don't know. Is there anybody that doesn't do that anymore? Well, and now, now we're supposed to have them that are even more than six characters. Cause you know, they've got like that decoder secret decoder box that will break into your phone now. Yeah. They, this is showing up on some of the Apple news sites that law enforcement now has some device that you can plug a phone into 
and somehow it gets around because there's there's a setting in your phone that if you try to unlock it more than 10 times, it will erase the phone if you don't get it right. I love turning that on. I don't think it ever really applies to me. You know, my my life is not nearly exciting enough to make someone want to get to my phone. But either way, I I love the James Bond feeling that the the phone kind of smokes itself out after 10 attempts. But apparently somebody somewhere has designed a box that law enforcement's using now that you plug into and it it makes it pretty easy to decode if it has a four or six digit uh, passcode number. Yep. So alphanumeric numbers. There you go. And, you know, the thing is, Katie, if you've got Touch ID, if you've got Face ID, you don't need to put your ID in that often because and it works so good with these um, these these new methods of unlocking that you, ha- you can have a serious passcode and it really isn't that much of an intrusion in your life. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Setup, the app subscription service created by the developers of Clean My Mac. It's totally free to try and you can earn six more free months just by referring friends. I'm so happy to have Setapp sponsoring the Mac Power users. Setapp is a subscription-based application service that lets you get a ton of great apps on your Mac for one monthly fee. Setapp now offers more than 110 apps, including big names you might already have heard of, like Ulysses, Bartender, Amazing, Timing, and more. And the best thing is the collection just keeps growing. For example, I just recently went to get an update to Better Touch Tool, which just had a really cool update come out. Before I bought the license, however, I realized that it's part of Setup. Since I'm already paying for Setup, I don't have to pay for the new version of Better Touch Tool. So why opt for a service like Setup? It's all about trust. All apps are curated apps from reputable sources. The team at Setup is not going to allow you to install junk on your Mac. I mean that in a couple of ways. First, it's going to be safe by developers that aren't going to try and steal your data. And second, they're good apps. So you don't have to waste time sifting through subpar applications on the App Store. Plus, it's simple. Setup installs on your Mac as a handy catalog. So you can easily flip through the apps and install the ones you want at will. Categories range from lifestyle and productivity to developer tools. So you have an app for every job on your Mac. There are several subscription-based apps, like Ulysses, that I access through my Setapp subscription. This allows me to avoid paying the subscription fee directly to the developer and instead getting it as part of my Setapp subscription. Indeed, when I look at the number of apps that I buy this way, I'm getting my value with Setapp. But the other thing I like about it is it exposes you to a bunch of other little gems that you wouldn't get otherwise. For example, Forklift, which is a file management app I used to use ages ago and I'd forgot existed, but it's part of Setup and I downloaded it and I really like it and now I'm using it again. BusyCal is now available to you. Bartender, one of the apps we talk about on the show constantly is available through Setup. There are a ton of quality apps available to you in Setup. There are no paid upgrades, no in-app purchases or other hidden costs. Every app is fully functional and updates automatically for free. Setup is totally free to try, and you can earn six more free months just by referring friends. And don't forget, Setup are the nice people that help pay for the Mac Power Users Meetup in Chicago the last two years. So do me a favor and head over to setup.com right now to browse through the apps they offer and try it out for free. That's setup.com. And make sure to let them know you heard about it here at the Mac Power Users. All right, David, what else is new in your world? 
Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've been revisiting backup. I know that's kind of a tried and true topic here at the Mac Power Users, but, uh, uh, I, I, um, I, I retired my Drobo, you know, it, it's still working. I, I'm not having any problems with it, except I just, it's like, you know, the, the lights and the noise, I just decided I wanted to simplify and I, um, I got online and I looked into it and uh, Seagate, I'll put the link in the show notes. Seagate makes these little USB drives. They're five terabyte drives and they, they attach to uh, with a USB cable. They don't even have a separate power supply. And I really like them. I bought one that I Velcroed to the bottom of my desk several months ago. And I use it as kind of like the archive. So I've got, you know, the, the data stored on my iMac and then I use this Seagate. And then, so then what I did is I ran that to a USB hub, uh, the one that was recommended by Wirecutter, a good USB hub, uh, that's Velcro to the bottom of my desk and attached to that. I have one of these little Seagate five terabyte drives and I was looking at it and it's great. You know, it doesn't make any noise. It's super quiet. I've, I've got a bunch of extra data saved there. And I realized that even with, and the other thing I do on that backup drive is I actually make a copy of the key data off my iMac, like my photo library and like my Mac Sparky field guide stuff. By the way, just a quick interruption. Thank you everybody for all the support with the iPhone field guide. I've been hearing from you guys that are buying it. Really appreciate it. Love hearing the stories that you guys are enjoying the book. Thank you. Anyway, uh, so, but all that data is getting backed up to this little Seagate. And I like it so much. Um, I did the Katie Floyd thing. I put it into a camel, the camel, camel thing. And it, and it told me, hey, it's on sale. So I went and I bought two more. And so now I have three of these five terabyte Seagate drives. What are you doing with all these drives? So I, uh, I attached one. I just, I'm just using them as, as basically offsite backups. So, um, I, uh, I've got a OmniFocus uh, task once a month and I go and I just attach one and copy everything off the archive drive and the iMac into it. I'm using Chronosync with a little script that does it for me. And I've got one hidden in the house, like hidden somewhere where you probably wouldn't find it. And I'm, I'm giving the other one to sister-in-law to hold for me. And, you know, I, I've still got, the backups that I, I do with the online, the online backup. I mean, you know, I've still got a bunch of other backups, but I do like the idea that I've got this very simple kind of um, sneaker net style extra backup system that I've added. And it only cost me a couple hundred bucks to do it. So uh, I feel pretty good about my backup situation. So the, the, what are you using for a big old pot of storage? Or is it just these, do you not need that anymore? Do you just use the big five? Yeah, the five terabytes is enough. I went through, I went through and cleaned it out. Like I had ripped a bunch of movies when the kids were little, you know, and like, you know, Barbie and paradise, whatever kind of things. Now the kids are 21 years old and 16 years old. They don't care. You know? So I just deleted a bunch of old kid movies that, you know, we had ripped for them when they were little. So those, a lot of that stuff, that, that big pot of storage only lives on one of these five terabyte drives that you're then backing up to another five terabyte drive. So guess my question is is all the stuff now on your iMac that you're backing up to the five terabyte drive or i'm confused okay so the five terabyte drive is holding a bunch of media um uh, old versions of photos and stuff that you know i just kept as extras um uh, some legal materials um some video you know like kept all my ripped copies so the five terabyte drive is just your your archive 
I'm not finished. You just, you just jumping all over me here. So, so I've got that stuff, but I also have on the five terabyte drive, um, a script that runs with Chronosync to back up regularly my photos library, the key data off my iMac, my bat, my Dropbox folder, my, um, all my files on, on the iCloud. All that stuff is getting regularly also backed up to the five terabyte under the desk. So basically, all the data in my life fits in five terabytes. For now. Well, I mean, it, I, it, right now, all the data in my life fits in 3.7 terabytes. So once I realized that, then buying a couple extra made a lot of sense to me because I can just easily copy and you know duplicate it onto these drives and I can I can put them strategically out in the world. So I've got another good place with backups. And and also it makes it really, so when I format them, I format them as encrypted drives, you know, in disk utility. So they're really, anybody that had these drives without the passwords is not going to get anything off of them. I don't know that this is a good idea, but I went ahead and formatted them with the new Apple uh, APFS. Oh, I don't know that I would have done that. Yeah, well. Good luck with that. You got to live on the edge. Yeah. All right. Hope that works out for you. Why not try that on your backups? Come on. <laughs> I'm out there for you guys. Well, I've got a, I don't have a five terabyte drive. I've got a four terabyte drive because I guess the five terabytes just, just came out. But what I'm still using my uh, Synology and I've been loving that. And uh, that's what, I, that's my big old pot of storage. And I use that for time machine. I use that for clone backups. I use that as a big old pot of storage. And then right now, kind of like you, all my stuff does fit on like 3.7 terabytes. Uh, but I'm getting close, so I might have to upgrade and get one of your five terabyte drives. And then I also have one of those bus powered drives. I have a, uh, I have a, I go one step. So this, this is the, this is the little extra piece that you should add into your system if you haven't yet. So what I do is I use Carbon Copy Cloner. I think Chronosync works just fine for this. So what I do is I have a backup task that um, mounts that hard drive, that backup five, the four terabyte hard drive on my computer. And then backs up my Synology to that four terabyte backup drive. Okay. So now everything that's on my Synology is now on that four terabyte drive. So I've got the Synology and I've got everything on the four terabyte drive. And then because that four terabyte drive is direct connected, now it's going up to Backblaze. Yeah. Well, see, the, I've always got that happening because. That's my question is, is that four terabyte drive of yours getting backed up to Backblaze, that five terabyte yes. drive? Okay. Yeah, good. Because it's connected via the USB hub to the iMac. So as far as Backblaze is concerned, that's part of my plan. Okay. So, good. So yeah, I've got that in the cloud as well. All right. As long as it, as long as you've got it in the cloud somewhere, that's good. That makes me feel better about that whole APFS thing. Well, we'll see, man. We'll see. Hey, um, what about your new Echo Spot? I know you've been <laughs> teasing us about that. I, I was really surprised that Katie put a clock in her room with a camera, but now now I need to know what's going on. All right, so so here's um here's the here here's the problem. So I I have a a nightstand bedside nightstand like like so many people, and the problem is it was getting cluttered with a growing collection of stuff. And um, I have for years had an iHome speaker. You remember how those are pretty popular? And I think they're becoming less popular. But it's like a a 30 pin connector. I I upgraded. It has a lightning connector, but it has a lightning connector and it has some speakers and it it has a radio and has an alarm and and those things. But it's, it's still pretty hefty in size. 
And, um, and then I have, uh, you know, I have a lamp on my bedside table, which is, you know, neither here nor there. And then I have a, an echo dot on my bedside table because I, you know, I got to be able to, to turn on my fan and turn off my lights and find out about the weather. And I've got to be able to listen to, um, you know, subnet when I wake up and get the news and all those things. So those are important. And let's see what else did I have on my bedside table. Oh, and then I, I didn't really care for the the alarm clock in my iHome because depending on what time I had to get up in the morning, I would have to like manually reset the clock. And that was a pain. So then I started using my Echo as my alarm clock. And, you know, then I had like all these chargers near my bedside. I had a charger for my watch and I had a charger for my phone. I had a charger for my iPad. And that whole bedside table was just, you know, it was getting super cluttered. It was It was not, you know, looking the way that I wanted it to. And then I got a new case for my iPhone. I got a case for my iPhone because I had the Apple case and it was fine, but I really wanted to be able to see my beautiful iPhone 10. So I got this beautiful clear plastic or just clear case for my iPhone. And then it didn't work so well in the the iPhone dock. It, it you know, and then I thought about getting a, an extender for the lightning cable because it wasn't sitting in there and it wasn't charging. And then that just looked bad. And I was just having all kinds of problems. So I decided I was going to consolidate. And the short version is um, I decided to get rid of that iHome and I ended up getting an Echo Spot. This was going to be the thing that solved all of my problems because the Echo Spot was going to be my clock. It was going to be my speakers. It was going to be my Echo all in one. And so now what I have on my bedside table is I have my Echo Spot. I have um, a cable to charge my iPad. I have a Qi charger to charge my phone. And um, that's about it now. And I'm so much happier. The uh, The Echo Spot takes care of my alarm clock needs. It has much better speakers than the Echo Dot. It's not as good of speakers as a regular Echo, but it is fine for listening to podcasts or listening to the news or listening to all of those things. And it's got a clock and an alarm. I mean... What what more do you need? How often do you talk to um to to the Amazon Echo? See, I didn't say the word. You like that? She's the first person I talk to in the morning. So I'm either telling her to snooze because you know she's going off. That that could be one, or to stop. That's usually it. I usually say, "Hey, lady, stop," or or snooze because my alarm's going off. Or uh, if I wake up before the alarm. Um, I will say, hey, lady, you know, good morning. And that triggers uh, a couple of actions. Number one, it turns off the fan. Number two, it turns on the lights in my bedroom. And number number three, it gives me my uh, flash briefing. So you've got some automation stuff in there. They've made it so easy. And so then I just, you know, get up. I made my bed. I'm listening to the news. My lights are already on. Ready to go. You know, it's funny. When I saw that you put this subject in the outline, I actually got kind of excited um, because that's the kind of thing that I like to nerd out on is like, how do I get this process as efficient as possible? And I too have been thinking about my nightstand over the last six months. Um, and like you, I, I used to have a bunch of stuff on it and I, um, I, I didn't like that. Uh, part of it is just the, um, you know, so I used to have an iPad plus an iPhone Plus, you know, I've got a Kindle, so I've got the Kindle. So, I, you know, I had all this stuff and all these cords stretched out across my nightstand table and then the watch charger 
et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so at this point, I've really scaled it back. So what I do now is um, on my uh, my nightstand, the one thing I still have is uh, this the stand for the, um, was it the, I think it's called the Base by uh, Logitech. It's it, it's a um, it's like a, a bent piece of metal that's got a smart connector on it and it can charge an iPad Pro. That's the only thing it can do. It's one of those. It's one of those uh, purchases I made that when I got it, I thought it was just the dumb that I was the dumbest man in the world. I spent like a hundred bucks on a bent piece of metal that that you ha- it doesn't even come with a charger or a cord. So you know the cord that was coming up on my nightstand is still there, but it's just plugged into this bent piece of metal. Um, but the advantage of it is you don't have to physically attach and unattach the cable. And so I put my 10.5 inch iPad in there and I've, I've had it for years. I bought this with the first 12.9 inch iPad pro that came out, like, was it two or three years ago now? So I guess I don't feel as bad about the purchase now because I've kept it the whole time and the ability to just lift an iPad out of it and use it and then put it back in and know that it's charging, even though it's a little slow, but it is charging is actually pretty convenient. So at this point, that's the only thing on my nightstand. The, uh, so what did I do? Uh, the, the iPhone itself, I didn't use it in bed and, um, I just didn't want more electronic devices around me, uh, when I was sleeping, uh, not because I'm like, um, tinfoil hat, but just, I thought, you know, let's kind of get some of that stuff out of here. So I have the, uh, the magnetic, what do you call the new chargers? The, uh, Chi, the Chi charger. The Chi charger. I have a Chi charger next to my iMac, and I just put the phone in that before I go to bed, and it's there when I wake up in the morning. I don't need it. Uh, with the Apple Watch, because the Apple Watch holds a charge so long now, uh, I just charge my watch one one or two times during the day. I drop it into the charger that I also keep up with my iMac. I have the little funny charger that looks like a classic Mac. And I put it in there, and I use the, um, uh, the HomePod to set a timer for... Uh, like 40 minutes. And you could do that also on the phone or the watch itself. But I, I do in the HomePod because I'm just used to that now. And so with a couple, you know, half hour charging sessions, my, my watch is good for the day. And then I wear it to bed. And that's, I'm going to talk about that later if we get to it, but I got a whole sleep tracking thing going on. Um, but the, uh, so I just wear the watch to bed. And then, so that's off the nightstand. The Kindle holds a charge forever. And uh, I'm really turning into a Kindle guy. I never thought I would, but I read a lot of books. And for the text-only books, it's really great. And uh, it doesn't, you know, have a backlight. Or, I'm sorry, it has a backlight, but it's not the LED kind of thing you get with an iPad. So I read, read in bed often. But then when I'm done, I just stick it in a drawer. I don't plug it into a charger. I charge it like once every week or two. And now I look at my nightstand and I just have the one little, you know, bent metal charger with my iPad in it. And I feel much better. So what do you think? Um, I, I know people are going to ask me about the uh, the camera in the Echo Spot. Is that something that would weird you out? Um, probably not. Uh, I, I can't imagine that someone at Amazon is like secretly running that camera in people's bedrooms because it would just be so damaging to the company. But then again, you never know. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of people listen to the show that write us and say that they won't have an Amazon Echo because they don't want Amazon listening in their rooms. And I guess they, they feel that some people feel that way to a lesser extent about Apple, but some people feel the same way about Apple. Uh, you know, anytime you've got a microphone that's always hot, now let's just turn it up to a camera that's always on. Um, 
what was it Mark Zuckerberg who said he puts black tape over the camera on his Mac? He does. He does. That is that is ironic on so many levels. I don't even know where to start. Maybe he knows things we don't. I don't know. But so the the camera on the spot is a weird thing, I'll tell you. And I will tell you honestly, if I wish Amazon made a version without the camera, I mean, really, why does the Echo Spot need a camera? Is anybody really video cameraing or video calling on these devices? My guess is no, they're not. And the Echo Spot screen is so small, nobody's... I've never, ever used it for video. I mean, I think when I first got it, I did a video thing on it, but it was just for the novelty to see, oh, can you? And like, not well, no, it's not a video device. I, I almost feel like they'd sell more of them if the camera was not in it. Yeah, but um, you can't put a piece of black tape on the camera in the Echo Spot because it uses the camera to do like all the ambient light sensing stuff that will tell it, you know, when lights are on, when it's dark, when it's day, when it's night. And that's important for this type of device that's, you know, being used on a bedside table. However, there is a uh, a feature in the settings where you can software turn off the camera, which I guess really doesn't completely disable it because it still uses it for like the ambient noise or ambient light sensing. But when you software turn off the camera, it gives you this warning. It's like, by turning off the camera, you're going to disable the ability to take video calls or allow people to drop in on you on this device. I'm like, I can live with that. Thank you. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you know, one of the um, the one of the nice things, we haven't talked much about the iMac Pro because it's just kind of out of the wheelhouse of, of most of us and our listeners. But one of the things they did with that computer that I really like is they have that T2 chip on it, which is an Apple Silicon startup. It's basically um, a similar chip to what you find in an iPhone, but it holds the security and the camera. And it, it's just a bunch of like things that Apple wants to make sure they own. And it's a um, it, it's an ARM based chip. So even though it's an Intel based Mac, there's an ARM chip in there that that does a bunch of these underlying system things. I I believe it also manages the disk drive and the um the the decoding of the because the disk drive in, on that Mac is is um, an SSD, which is basically chips plugged into the motherboard. So it manages all that stuff for you, and it gives them a bunch of speed advantages, but also gives them a massive security advantage. Um, whereas with like with that chip install, I think it would be extremely difficult to like bypass the operating system and, and get into somebody's camera without them knowing. Um, and I, I really hope that technology makes its way across the line with the Apple products that, you know, the the iMacs, the standard iMacs and the MacBook Pros and the MacBooks all get that as well going forward. Uh, I hope I hope so, too. That'd be a good thing. All right. Anything else on our bedside tables that we we need to talk about? Um, I do have a little BB-8 that someone gave me. Uh, of course. course you do. Yep. It's the, um, I have uh, two Spheros for Christmas this year. My family gave me the R2-D2. Remember on the Christmas show how I said that kind of the one thing I want for Christmas is the R2-D2 Sphero? I like it. I have it. I love it so much. I keep it on my desk. Sometimes I just plug him in and he just makes random R2 noises. And it's just great having a buddy, a little buddy at my work. But the uh, this, the older, um, the Sphero BB-8 that is about three years old now, I still have. And I moved him over to my bedside table. And sometimes he turns on during the night and moves his head around, which is a little weird, I've got to say. I'm not sure what's going on with that. And you're worried about the camera in the spot. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I know the BB because I can literally lift his head off, and there's nothing inside of it, so it's it's good. 
<laughs> there is no camera in my BB-8, but he has lately come to uh, moving around at night. My wife's asking me what's going on with my little robot. So I don't know if maybe the battery's dying in it. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's it. Anything else on your, your bed, bedside stand? No, not really. I mean, I still got the lamp and all that stuff, but nothing, nothing exciting. Oh, I think I said I got a, I've had a Qi charger on the, my bedside stand, but I picked up one of those um, anchor chargers and I opted to go with one of the, instead of the flat chargers, you know how you can get one of the ones that stands up? Um, just because I think it's so much easier to just plop a phone in a standing charger as opposed to a lay down charger. Oh yeah, agreed. Um, but wait a second. So you, so you are keeping your phone next to the bed still? I am, um, par- partially because it's a good place for me to keep. I, I would always keep my phone in the bedroom um, because I I have people in my life that I need to know if the phone rings. The other thing I do with my bed, so let's just go all the way with this. Uh, I, ha- I have an anchor charger, you know, the one that it's, it's got a USB-C and like three or four USB-A um, ports on it. And it's great because it... I, I can run the cables off of that. It's behind the bed stand, so you don't see it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I have I have a I have one of those anchor things behind my bed with all the cables. I mean, you can't see it, but it's yeah. I have I have lots of charging gear, so you could charge anything. And that that's the one I actually um, just take when I travel. I just pull it out of the wall and throw it in my bag and take it with me. I'm super tempted to buy a second one and just have like a travel bag with like all the necessary cables, so I can always have it. But I don't travel enough to justify that. Um, and the other thing that I do is uh, the way my bedside stand is made, there's like kind of a drawer underneath a large drawer. And I very carefully drilled a hole into that. And I put a um, USB-C cable in there so I can put my MacBook in the drawer and, and it just charges in there. So I don't have to Ooh, see it when I don't want smart. it. That's smart. Yeah. Maybe maybe next time you're in town, I'll have you drill a hole in mine. The trick is um, if you've got a... Um, because the most furniture is just garbage. You know, the, the wood they use, especially in the back panel, is to clamp a little piece of wood right next to it. So you're drilling with a backing behind it or it splits out. So make sure you do that. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by the Omni Group. You can learn more about the amazing suite of productivity software they offer by heading over to omnigroup.com. So I want to talk a little bit about my favorite task manager, and that is OmniFocus. And you may have heard OmniFocus version 3 is currently in beta testing. And let me tell you, it is an amazing update. You can learn more by heading over to OmniGroup.com and checking out their blog and maybe even signing up for the beta. Who knows? Maybe you'll get lucky and get an invite in there. But I'm so excited about the new version of OmniFocus. Now has never been a better time to get in on OmniFocus because you can get set up with OmniFocus and be ready to make the jump to version 3. OmniFocus version 3 brings a whole lot of improvements that we've been waiting for. One of my favorites is tags. So you've always been able to add context to your tasks and projects, but now you can add tags too. So you can sort by maybe a location, maybe you can add multiple tags to the same product. They're very flexible, letting you organize things in whatever ways makes the most sense to you. It also brings manual sorting. So you can sort your project in whatever way happens to make sense for you, either in its own independent ordering of tasks, or you can sort by tags. Reorder your tasks to your heart's content. 
OmniFocus 3 also brings a lot of different features when it comes to scheduling. Omni knows that dates are important when it comes to your tax management systems, and it can track multiple dates for every task, whether it comes to due dates or defer dates, and it also gives you multiple options for repeating events. You can schedule tasks based on certain days of the month, certain days of the week, certain types of repeating schedules, and a whole lot more. And one of my favorites are flexible notifications. Omni has really rethought the way that they're working with notifications on their products. So you can keep your notifications flexible for the way you want. Maybe you want them to notify you about a task once. Maybe you want them to notify you about a task until you actually check it off your to-do list. Maybe you want more information on your notifications. You can really get down and tweak your notification settings. You can learn more about OmniFocus and all of the great products by heading over to omnigroup.com. And you can kick the tires on your Omni products before you buy because all of the Omni-focused products come with a free trial and a money-back guarantee. So thanks to Omni for their continued support of Mac Power users. All right, since uh, we're in the bedroom already now, um, <laughs> yeah, <we are. laughs> things, things we do on MPU+, Plus. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, sleep tracking? Yeah, so since I've been wearing my watch to bed anyway, I've been wanting to do a better job of keeping track of my sleep. And uh, so there's a bunch of apps for this. Uh, You know, they start as iPhone apps, but they all have a watch component, or at least the best ones do. And it's a really good idea because before we used to have sleep tracking, like sleep cycle, we used to talk about on the show all the time, where you would lay at one point with sleep cycle, I would plug my phone in and stick it under my pillow and it would detect uh, movement on the bed. And that's how it would track my sleep. And the problem with that is I got that fancy Casper mattress and that if your body moves, the head doesn't necessarily move that much, you know, with those mattresses that, that don't like bounce the weight across the mattress. So my mattress was too good for that to really work well. Eventually they moved it to a microphone based system where you just lay it on your bedside table and listen to you. But I never really thought that was very good either. So I do like the idea of sleep tracking through the Apple watch. Um, a couple things I do is I always put it in theater mode. I know I've shared that before on the show, but I got to say it again. If you share a bed with somebody, every time you move your arm around the light, the watch starts lighting up the room, you can get in the doghouse. So you put it in theater mode as you're going to bed and then it doesn't light up unless you touch it. Uh, the battery is not an issue at all. Now, if you've got the Apple watch series one, the battery is a problem. You're not gonna be able to do it, but series two or series three, I think you'll be fine. Just make sure you charge it, like I said, a little bit. I I put it on the charger in the morning after my workout while I take my shower and kind of get ready for the day. So that's about 30 minutes. And then I usually put it on the stand in the evening when I'm shutting down my day. And that's just another good time to charge it up. And my watch is always in the top half of being charged. Um, but then the question is, so what apps do you use? Uh, so there's three that I would recommend trying out. And I don't really have one to pick. I think I've got three to choose from at this point, because these all three are worthy candidates. The first is uh, Sleep Plus Plus, which is by underscore David Smith, who was a guest on our show recently. Um, It's a great app. I like it because it's simple. Um, They just added the feature that auto tracks um, your sleep. So that's a big deal to me. When I tried to use the apps where you have to physically turn, you know, go to the watch app and say, okay, now I'm going to sleep. And then when you wake up, you have to go to the watch app and say, now I'm waking up. I the I always get bad data from those. And for me, the worst part was waking up because I would wake up. 
I would write on my book for a couple hours. I'd go for a walk. I, all of a sudden, I'd realize that my phone, my watch still thinks I'm in bed, you know. So you got, you know, the auto tracking is really important. Sleep Plus Plus does that. Um, it, I think the data is very good from it. You know, it, it seems to very closely um, reflect what I think I slept, where some of the uh, apps don't do as well. Auto sleep is the other one that uh, I think it was the first one that tracked your sleep automatically. Um, that one for me, it's prettier than sleep plus plus, but I'm not as convinced that they're getting the data right. Like, um, this last night I made notes anyway, we we're going to talk about this today. I made note of exactly when I went to sleep and when exactly when I woke up and sleep plus plus got it. Whereas auto sleep had me sleeping 30 minutes longer than I actually did. So I'm not sure what, what that's about. Um, so, but it's a good app. So check it out though, you know, and see what you think. And then there's a brand new one that just came out last week. Uh, the old, the old standard sleep cycle, you know, the one I was talking about at the beginning of the segment now supports an Apple watch and they do a bunch of cool stuff with that app. Um, it will record your snoring. Uh, so if you snore in bed, I snored 30 minutes last night and it recorded, you want me to play it? I'm not sure. No, I would rather you not, but I will tell you. I, I tried Sleep Cycle after you talked about it the, the last uh, episode of, uh, I think it's been a couple episodes ago, you talked about it on Mac Power users. And um, I tried it for a, a little while, and I am pleased to say I do not snore, and I have the app to prove it. Not not once did it ever record me snoring. Mine did record it. My, Daisy and I had a heated discussion about it because she swears it's me, and I, I'm thinking that I'm... I'm like Mary Poppins. I'm practically perfect in every way. How could I snore? So then I played it back. And even though it sounds like a man snoring, I'm pretty sure it was her. Uh-huh. We, we'll see. They, they've got a bunch of extra features. Um, but one thing Sleep Cycle does that the other options don't do is they have a what they call wake-up phase, uh, where it's kind of tracking your phases of sleep, you know, the the REM cycle and all. I don't know all the science. But, you know, there's parts of your sleep where it's easier to wake up than others. And so you say, I want to wake up at 6 a.m. It's going to, it may wake you up at 545 because you're, it's easier for you to wake up then than it would be 15 minutes later. It figures that out and does it for you. Um, and they've got a premium model. So they, they, there's the, I paid for it years ago. I don't know if, I guess you still have to pay for it, but if you want the premium features, like it, it stores your sleep data separately and does some other things, it's $30 a year, which seems kind of a lot for a sleep app. Um, but either way, I, um, I, there's three good ones to choose from and let us know, maybe we should talk about this on the Facebook group. I'd like to hear how other people are getting it done, but I do like looking at the data. It is fun to take a look at it and see how well am I sleeping? And I do notice like if I have a rough day sometimes where I'm like in the, getting in the afternoon and it's hard to focus. If I look at my sleep data, I'll see that I, I had a, a bad night. You know, I was waking up a lot the night before for whatever reason. I'm intrigued by sleep tracking. And like I said, I, I tried it a little bit after the, the last episode and it was, um, I liked it, but I'm not sure that it's something that I would, I would really need to do every night. It, it should be some interesting things like, um, how, how fast I was to fall asleep, how often I was in REM sleep, um, how often I, I woke up. I think it was maybe a little bit of a placebo effect because I noticed that when I was sleeping tracking, sometimes I had a tendency to sleep better. Because I think I was like, I don't know, it's like almost you were testing yourself, so you wanted to do a good job. Well, it's, you know, uh, you, that goes away. Be 
because after a while, it's just the thing you do. You just wear a watch to bed. I, I used to wear a watch to bed years and years ago when our kids were little. Cause, and it was one of those Indiglo Timexes and you could just press on it to see what time it was. It's like, are you kidding me? It's 2 a.m. and this kid is screaming again, you know? So, um, so I'm used to wearing a watch to bed. So that's not a problem. And the other big benefit of this for me, at least, is I, uh, I wake up by having the vibration alarm go off in the watch. And that's another really nice thing when you share a bed with somebody, because uh, when you've got an alarm clock next to the bed, it's going to wake her up too, as well as you. So, uh, and the worst thing is sometimes I sleep so soundly that she wakes me up to turn the alarm off, which makes me feel really bad. You know, that, uh, you know, I woke her from unnecessarily, you know, because I can't hear my own alarm. So uh, what I do is I put the watch on silent mode and I have the uh, just the built in alarm on the watch go off and it vibrates on my wrist. Never wakes Daisy up and I get rolling. Awesome. And you've never had it fail to wake you up? Never. Not once. All right. Well, sounds like it's it's working. Yeah. I mean, I got the whole nightstand, the sleep stuff. I'm I feel like I've got it wired, Katie. Hey, one quick question. Um charging your apple watch i know you said you know you try to pick up 30 minutes here 45 minutes there do you charge your apple watch with the standard five watt charger that came with it or do you plug it into something else that's a little higher powered um i've got uh, yet another anchor charger velcro to the bottom of my desk so um you know i've got a collection of those things uh so the the uh, the older one i had when i replaced the one that was by my nightstand i took that one and i velcroed it to the bottom of my desk and the and the apple watch charging cord is plugged into that so it's it may be a little stronger than a standard five watt yeah, charger yeah because anchor uses that smart technology i think it pushes more out i had um someone I, I think it was um underscore david smith i think i read in his blog post when he first started talking about uh sleep tracking um was saying that you could possibly squeeze a little faster charge out of it with a little higher power charger I could do an experiment, like get an iPad charger and connect it, but I, I think the anchor. No, I meant I meant that using your anchor charger as opposed to like a, the five watt charger that came with it. You know, if you were trying to, like, you know, if you're hopping in the shower for a few minutes and you want to get as much of a charge out of it as you can. Yeah, and but you definitely need to set an alarm because the worst thing is then you go downstairs or you know outside and work in the garden you realize you didn't put your watch on and then your fitness stuff data loses. You know, you lose credit. You can't have that. So let's um let's switch gears and again I want to talk about something else that's that I've been dealing with this past week. We talked about it a little bit last episode and that was my uh my big boom, my big lightning strike. So the the damage report as as far as I can tell, um I I think I might have found one more casualty. Uh the um but it appears to have not been too bad. Obviously we knew that my uh, my modem has blown and I had to get that replaced and then I actually end up after we replaced the modem found out that the uh, the line that came into it had some issues with it. So that had to be replaced too. But that was something that the, the cable company took care of because it was, it was outside of the house. I will tell you that my old 2007, I think, Mac Mini um, has uh, not been connecting properly ever since. So that... Oh, no. It, it might be another casualty. It also could just be, you know, age. We'll see. Now, is that connected to a UPS? It is completely connected to everything UPS and battery backed up. So I have no idea why why that could have been impacted when nothing else was. It it also could just be, you know, total randomness. 
Um, I can, I can see it on the network. I just can't connect to it. So that's something that I just discovered this past weekend and it's going to require more. I'm actually gonna have to pull it out of the closet and try to direct connect to it and see what's going on. I asked this question of Andy and Otko, and I'm going to ask you, what is the, in your mind, what's the difference between the Mac mini in your house and the, uh, the, the NAS drive, the Synology? Well, the Mac mini, keep in mind, I have two Mac minis. Um, I have, a, I mean, this is just an old, old Mac mini that belonged to a, a family member. Um, the, uh, the Mac mini I do for things like running Hazel rules and, and apps that actually can't run on a Synology. Um, the Synology is, is really for, for everything else. Um, I really could get rid of the Mac Mini and not use it. I use it so infrequently now. So if it went away, I probably wouldn't wouldn't replace it. It was kind of nice to have as a backup computer at some point because remember when I was having issues with my MacBook Pro, you know, meant that I could record a podcast or do basic things, you know, when my Mac was out. But honestly, if I lost it, it wouldn't be that big of a, a loss to my workflow. I really wish Apple would would care more about the Mac Mini. I, I don't feel like it would be that hard, you know, to just kind of keep a, a, a relatively modern processor in it. And I don't know why they don't. I don't know. I, I honestly, sometimes I don't understand, but it seems like I understand it's probably a, a lower selling volume product, but it definitely serves a purpose in the line. Anyway, sorry, that was a little bit of a rant. I had um I had a bunch of people ask me on Twitter. So, you know, how how often does something like this happen? You know, I had a couple of people write me and say, "Hey, we we had some damage to lightning strikes um, you know, where they lost thousands and thousands of dollars." Uh yeah, it it definitely could have been much worse. Um it all really depends on how direct the strike is, how bad the strike is. I I mean, I think I was pretty lucky as as best as I can tell. Um, the strike hit the the ground or probably more likely the driveway outside, not actually a direct hit to my house. I mean, if it had been a true direct hit, lightning had you know, struck and hit the peak of my house, uh, I mean, th- those are things that can be absolutely catastrophic. Those are things that can cause fires. Those are things that can, you know, really blow out everything in the house. So th- this, I by no means, I don't think was a direct hit. This This probably just hit something nearby. But it was close enough to cause some significant damage, um, but not so significant. I mean, I mean, I probably am, you know, grand total, you know, less than two hundred and fifty dollars out of pocket worth of stuff. I mean, for me, it's not worth filing an insurance claim. Uh, I will tell you that in my my life, I probably have had lightning related damage four or five times, um, and, and sometimes those have been um, higher damage, you know. Um, couple thousand dollars worth of damage. Sometimes they've been lower damage, like a, a few random things have struck. So, I mean, it's, it's something where here living where I do it, it happens, you know, occasionally, but I wouldn't say often, if that makes sense. Do you guys have lightning poles on your houses? Is that like standard? No, no, not really. I, I've, I mean, some people do, you know, depending on the type of structure that you're in and where you live, but I not, not in like a regular, you know, neighborhood type situation. Yeah. I just because like I know like in California, everything is built around earthquakes, you know, you know, every house, the building codes, everything are designed around. Well, it shake and also to a certain degree, can it burn like all of our roofs are made of non flammable materials and, you know, the stucco and framing house housing method out here really is good for earthquakes. 
But when I go to Florida, it's crazy how much stuff you guys have. Like, if you have a pool, you got to have like a mosquito net around it, right? A screen, yes. Uh, and then, like, is that for is that for the crocodiles or is that for the mosquitoes? <laughs> it's it's for mainly for the bugs, but also to keep the leaves out. You know those types of things. But I would say that if you were, uh, you know, if you were you know, a barn is something that's more likely to have that. If you're like a structure in the middle of the field, you're the only thing out there. And so you lose anything else. So now, now your surge protectors are gone. You got to replace them all. Well, that's best practices. I mean, I'll tell you, so, you know, what, what went right was I've, I've preached on the show for a long time about, you know, surge protection. And I will tell you anything in my house that is important is plugged into a surge protector. Even if it's just um, it, you know, one of these, like my, my refrigerator is plugged into a surge protector. My washer and dryer is plugged into a surge protector. All of my TVs are plugged into surge protectors. Um, my computers and all of my networking equipment and those types of things are plugged into, um, battery backup slash surge protectors. But even just these, you know, like little, you know, Belkin units that are plugged into the wall, you know, I've I've got several of those that are $20 or less that are surge protectors. Now, are they super duper surge protectors? Yeah, no, probably not, but they're, they're better than nothing. So I have surge protectors on, you know, I would tell you anything that's, you know, a couple hundred dollars or, or more. So that no doubt helped. And then um, I have a whole house surge suppression actually in my electrical box too. Now, does that need to get, does that need to get checked now after a strike or? Um, it, it has a little light that will tell you kind of what's, what's going on with it. I mean, mine says it's still okay, but it might not be a bad idea. And then I had several items that, um, that didn't work immediately after the strike, but then removing the surge protector out of the loop, they then worked, which to me tells me that the surge protector did its job and now it needs to be replaced. Well, uh, you know, California boy here where we get, you know, maybe one lightning storm a year. Uh, I, you know, I never really felt I needed this stuff much. Uh, Katie and the, and the listeners of the show effectively browbeat me into buying two of these. And I forget which, I just emailed Katie Floyd. Now you bought, you bought the APCs, right? The battery backups. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I already have surge suppressors on like the TV and, and the computer, but I never had a battery. You know, and so Katie was telling me I got to do this. So I went ahead and bought two of them. It wasn't that much money. I well, I mean, it was. I think it was like fifty bucks. It's whatever link Katie sent me. So I'm I'll sure put one put in the, the show notes show. for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And and I bought. So I bought two of them. I put one on my my fancy iMac and basically technology stuff that that's around it. And uh, one of the things I did is I made sure that like the the backup drives that needed external power were also plugged into it because I didn't want them to just get you know the power yanked on them. And frankly, with these new five terabyte drives, that's less of a problem because if I can get power to the Mac, the uh, the drive has power. Uh, but the uh, and I also put one in the the network closet, you know, with the router and all the Internet of Things doodads plugged into it. And and so I've got it in two places. And several times now, uh, I've been sitting here working away. Sometimes an iBooks author, which is a, a really bad program to have shut down midstream, it could really cause damage to your file. Um, and suddenly uh, the the little the screen goes dim, and it's working off the battery for all of about five seconds, and then it goes back to normal, and it saved my bacon. I'll tell you what went wrong. Um, the one thing that I could have done differently, and I don't know that I really could have, but it's worth exploring now that I've had the the cable company come out and replace the line. 
my coax was not protected. And you can get surge protection for your coax cable coming in. In fact, I had surge protection from the modem into my router. So I had surge protection on the Ethernet line, but I didn't have surge protection on the coax coming into the house. And that was because when I originally tried to set up uh, the little surge suppression on the coax coming in, it degraded the signal so much that it it made it gave me you know problems you know having a, a good signal quality that I ultimately had to take that out of the loop. I wonder. I wonder if they can combine it with like an amplifier or something to give you both. That might that might be something to look at to see if I can do both. So that that was my weak link. So we'll see whether there can be something done about that. Well, I'm glad it all got sorted out. It was fun for a week or so. I'd get these random messages from you with the update on your network as we were heading into recording the next episode and wondering if you'd be able to get on the Internet. Well, and I'll tell you just just FYI, because people are going to ask. I unfortunately, where I live, have very, very bad cell phone coverage. I have very bad 3G coverage. And so unfortunately, although I could get like text in and I could like maybe load a website or do something like that on 3G. Or I, I say 3G because most of the time it was 3G. It wasn't 4G. I, I could not sustain a solid enough um, LTE connection to record a podcast. So that that is a limitation, unfortunately, of the cell coverage where I am. Otherwise, I would have done that. I'm thinking about um, from one of my bedrooms, I have a, a pretty good connection to my neighbor's house. Wonder if I need to go over there like with a bottle of wine and say, Hi. Maybe we could like exchange Wi-Fi passwords. What do you think? Well, yeah, you know, there's been a couple times where um, uh, something happens while we're recording the show, and Katie disappears on me. And uh, with, with this one, she literally just cut out. I mean, with no warning, but I knew she was in the middle of a lightning storm. So I was just hoping that, as I was talking to Andy, that her house was not on fire. And then one time, you said, "Hold on, someone's at the door," and you just disappeared. And I had all these terrible like ideas in my head, what was going on. And he just got busy with the guy delivering stuff. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Fujitsu and the ScanSnap line of scanners. You can learn more by heading over to budurl.me slash SSMPU. So you've probably heard us talk about the paperless lifestyle and that it is probably the best way to get yourself organized. Going paperless can save you a whole lot of time, money, and effort. And if you're interested in going paperless, the best way to do so is to grab a Fujitsu ScanSnap scanner. Once you have a document scanner, you won't believe how much time you can save, and you'll wonder why you were scanning documents the old way. The Fujitsu scanners are fast, they're efficient, and they'll make quick work of whatever pile of paper you may throw of them. For example, I've got the iX500 on my desk at home and at the office. It is the Mac Daddy of scanners. It is a full duplex scanner with a 50-sheet document feeder. It will connect to your computer or your iOS device using super-fast USB 3.0 or wirelessly. It scans up to 25 pages per minute directly to your Mac, PC, or iOS device. And it has an advanced paper feeding system that minimizes jams, double feeds, and all of those other annoying issues. If you're looking for something a little smaller, you should check out the S1300i, which is a little more portable version that can do up to 12 pages per minute, or check out the iX100 for the ultimate in portability. It will scan a page at 300 dpi in 5.2 seconds and is small enough to fit in a glove box, backpack, or briefcase. But perhaps best of all is that the amazing ScanSnap software backs all of this amazing hardware. It will allow you to scan double-sided documents. It 
will allow you to scan two documents at the same time. It will stitch together larger than legal size documents automatically. It will OCR your scans. It will allow you to scan to multiple different cloud services like Dropbox, Evernote, or Google Docs. It will even scan to ScanSnap's cloud that will help you automatically organize your documents. And you can even organize business cards, receipts, set up special profiles for single scans, batch scans, and a whole lot more. You can learn more by heading over to budurl.me slash SSMPU to get the scoop on the entire line of ScanSnap products. And thanks to Fujitsu for their kind support of the show. Okay. Um, on Facebook, uh, a couple things happened. Uh, Drafts 5 came out. I made some cool screencasts. We'll have to put links to them in the show notes. And uh, it's a big update for the app. I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, but that raised the question in Facebook, what is Drafts 5 for? I mean, what is Drafts? I mean, why are people so excited about this app? Because a lot of us nerds have been talking and writing about it. Uh, Katie, are you a Drafts user? I do use Drafts. Um, I use Drafts um, as my notepad. Drafts, for a long time, was in my dock. Now it's on the row right above my dock. And anytime I need to jot something down, I have something I need to stick somewhere. I'm not quite sure what to do with it. It's kind of the place that I stick text. Yeah, that's their big um, um, that's their big marketing thing is where text starts is drafts. Uh, um, I I like you. I keep I keep in the dock. I find it really useful for capturing fleeting ideas. You know, I'm uh, what was it David Allen said? Yeah, you know, he's um, uh, he's lazy. He never wants to have the same thought twice. So uh, I feel like I need to capture stuff quickly. So drafts is really good at that. Um, I want to get back around to the watch app. So don't let me forget to talk about that, but just, you know, using it on your iPhone or your iPad, if something comes to mind and you want to capture it, you can open drafts. And as soon as you press the button to launch the app, you've got a blinking cursor on a blank screen. And that makes it really easy to enter text. There's no other app that to my knowledge does that. Um, like even as easy as it is to enter stuff in OmniFocus or um, an Omni outline or going into Ulysses, You've still got to have a look. You've got to find the place to put the text. You've got to open a new inbox item or whatever the mechanism is for the app. Whereas with drafts, you just immediately start going. And the other thing that drafts does that I think is really smart, and I, I don't know exactly how Greg does it, but he gets around the Siri flaw. You know, in Siri, after about 45 seconds, it just stops dictating you. And that's a problem, right? Because you get into dictating something and you get in the second or third sentence and it just stops. So then you have to press the Siri button again and Siri thinks you're starting anew. So if you're starting in the middle of a sentence, it's going to capitalize and you're going to have a bunch of grammatical nonsense when you're done. Drafts run somehow loops. It. I don't know how he got this through Apple. I hope nobody from Apple's listening and causes trouble for Greg. But it's the, fine. Um, it doesn't do anything it's not supposed to. Don't worry yeah, about exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. It works just the, the same terrible way the rest of Siri works. Now, now go have a taco while I finish this. Uh, but in drafts, when you press the, the dictation button in drafts, it somehow loops it. So it just keeps going and going, um, which is something I pay $15 a month for in Dragon Anywhere. Um, uh, so it's just really nice to be able to dictate into it or write into this app and just very quickly have it done. Another thing I wrote about this in the Facebook is a lot of times I'll start something in drafts with one intention and it'll end up somewhere else. Like uh, simple blog posts, uh, I export from drafts as rich text and go straight into Squarespace and I put the post up and I don't have to do anything else. 
But sometimes I'll start a simple blog post in drafts and it starts to turn into something bigger where I want to edit it and I want to run Grammarly and I want to spend time with, you know, I just want to spend time making it better. And drafts can easily send that text to Ulysses for me. Or another good one is sometimes I'll think I'm going to send a text message to someone. And I, I don't do it in the text messaging app. I do it in drafts because I can use that nice dictation stuff. And, and sometimes if I want to send a text message to more than one person, I've created a script in drafts so I don't have to go through that craziness of trying to create a new text message and finding all the recipients. It's done for me. But then sometimes I'll be doing the message in drafts and realize, oh, wait a second, this is more appropriate as an email. And because I've done it in drafts, I can make that decision later. I I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to decide in front whether it is an email or a text message or a straight to blog post or Ulysses. You just have to get the text in. And then in drafts, you can decide what you're going to do with it later. So there's a, been a lot of hoopla lately about apps going to subscription Drafts ha- Drafts 5 has a free version and a subscription version. Can you just talk a little bit about what the difference is? Yeah, the um the free version is fine. I think for a lot of people who are interested in this stuff, there's enough features there that you'll have everything you want. Uh, with the subscription version, it's $2 a month or $20 a year. Um, you get a bunch of like power user features, like all that, like I was talking about earlier, you can do some crazy automation stuff in there. You can share automations. Um, all that stuff comes with the prescription version. Also with the prescription version, you get a themes. So if you want a dark theme or if you want to change the icon color, that's kind of silly, but for some people that's a big deal. Um, so you get that, you kind of get the extra bells and whistles, but the nice thing is that there's a fully functioning version at version five without the subscription. And if you still have version four, I don't know how long he's keeping in the store, but the, the classic version four is still in the app store. So you can still use that if, if that's what you want. It's a, it's a good app, though. Yeah, the short version is people should go check out your screencasts and see what they can do with it. Yeah, I, I think the answer is not for everyone. I, I guess it just depends. But if you do a lot of text on your phone or your iPad, it's pretty convenient to do that. Uh, oh, now I want to get back to the watch. Okay, so I uh, every day I try to take a little walk or a hike, and i got to fill those rings. And sometimes I'll listen to a podcast. A lot of times I'll just unplug and take the AirPods out and just take a walk. And you know how your brains work. Sometimes when you walk and you just let your mind clear, you get a ton of ideas. And often on those walks, I'll realize, oh, I want to invite somebody onto the show as a guest or... I want to add this section to my next book. Or, you know, when you just let your subconscious mind kind of grill as you're looking at the birds, weird stuff happens. Uh, the And this is another place where drafts is just remarkable for me because I have it on my Siri watch face, which is my main watch face. It's the only complication. You get one, so I use drafts. And all you have to do is tap on that complication. And once again, instead of the blinking cursor, you got the microphone. And you can just talk into your watch and make a quick note. It gets the dictation largely right, but even when it doesn't get it exactly right, it's close enough that draft saves that. So quite often, if I go on a two-mile hike, I'll come back with four or five inbox items and drafts. And then I can just go later, excuse me, I, later I can go into OmniFocus and you know I can I can, you know, triage those things. Sometimes it's just I need to call somebody or it doesn't even have to go to OmniFocus, or sometimes it's a much bigger idea that I need to put in OmniFocus. And Drafts does that too. Drafts can export the data to OmniFocus. And the real trick there 
is to enable the watch complication and also go into the drafts app and the settings and you can have it put a badge on the screen. You know how I hate badges. I mean, nothing makes me crazier than look at my home screen and see badges on all the icons. So uh, I'm pretty careful about letting apps put badges on, but I do let drafts put a badge on for anything in my inbox. And so that's just taunting me until I take care of those items when I get back. So drafts becomes yet another inbox that you have to check and clear. Well, yes, it is. But I mean, it's a simple inbox. And and the, um, the, the, the downside of having a second inbox is greatly outweighed by the simplicity of being able to lift my watch to my wrist on a walk and add information to drafts. All right. Well, we'll send people over. We'll put a link in the show notes to your, to your screencast so they can check them out. All right, let's cover some quick feedback before we uh, we have to get out of here. We got some feedback about the browser show, um, and you forgot to mention DuckDuckGo. I I would have sworn I talked about it. Somebody I, wrote me and I said, "I thought you did too, but maybe not." Maybe maybe the listener was wrong. The listener wrote me to complain that how could I not mention DuckDuckGo? Maybe he fell asleep. I don't know. I I thought I talked about it. if I didn't. Uh, in Safari, you can set DuckDuckGo as your default browser. You should. In fact, now I'm I'm having a recollection of of talking about how it, how I use the Bang G to get Google searches. I did talk about this. I could have sworn you talked about it. All right, so but never it's mind. never never too bad to cover it again. It's a good thing. Yeah, DuckDuckGo is great, secure, uh, and uh, probably not as good as Google. Uh, you heard it all. I'm not going to say it all again. Um, Lewis wrote in with some additional uh, bookmarklets and other plugins for your web browser. I think I'm going to pronounce this badly. He says I use uh, P I. P a fire. Yeah, it's like picture in picture. Right. Uh, which, which lets you pip a fire, there you go. Which lets you pop out a playing video um and you block origins. He says I whitelist most of the sites that I use because these sites don't use aggressive or inappropriate advertising, which is a, a good thing to use. He says I also use a feature that lets me block specific elements on a page. For example, I block Facebook and LinkedIn across most sites. So uh, he uses a uh, uBlock Safari. He said, for bookmarks, I use Plexit, which is another one that I forgot about, which adds to Plex playlist for, for sites. So that's a good one to think about. Yeah. Uh, any, you know, so you should have some kind of system where you can save those videos if you want to watch them later. I am. Um, I have a little uh, a folder of videos I've saved from YouTube that way. Um, what about stuff you're playing with, Katie? What have you added to the collection this month? Um, so this month I have started collecting watch bands. I tell you, I've never really been a big Apple watch band person. I had the black, uh, sport band that came with my original series zero Apple watch. And the only other band that I bought was I bought the Melanese loop and I bought two new bands probably since the last time. Actually, I bought one and got one. Um, I bought um, the Apple leather band because I was looking for a little dressier band to, Is to wear. The, the brown, the brown the, leather, the brown leather. It's so nice. I love that band. It's a great band, very classy band. It's probably, in fact, it's the band that I'm wearing right now. Uh, it's become my new favorite Apple watch band. Apple's getting good at leather, you know, like the cases and the, the leather stuff they sell these days it has really nice quality leather in it. it they, they should, frankly, for it's like 150 bucks for one of those brands. And yeah. And then the uh, the other band that I got is um, I got a, a white band. So I got a white band when I got my new Apple Watch, but I ended up giving that band to my mom with my old Apple Watch so she could have a new band with an old watch. And then long story short, she ended up having to get a new watch. So she gave me the new band that came with that. So I now have a uh, 
a white sports band with my uh, with my watch. And I've been enjoying the white sport band too. So I've been wearing the white sport band and the leather band. And I'm really enjoying you know, swapping out bands to, to match my outfits. That's never something I've uh, I've never done before. So the white one is the floral elastomer. Yeah, yeah, the sport band. I have um I have several watch bands. I I do have a collection. Uh, I um I've got some from Apple. I've also bought some third party ones like Tom's, the guys that make the shoes. I have one of theirs, and I like it too. I it's kind of weird because I've never been someone that's super into my clothes. You know, like when I was a kid and stuff, I just didn't. I wore whatever kind of I fell into bed in, but the, uh, for some reason I like matching my watch bands to my clothes. So I have several too. I, I don't know. Will I be bummed if the new Apple watch doesn't fit the old bands? I think I would be. I don't know. I don't, I think we're a ways off from that, but what are you playing with? Um, Jason Snell did a post about working on his iPad at the bar in his kitchen. And he had this picture of this little iPad stand that I was, uh, kind of enamored with. So I ordered one. It's called Viazon, V-I-O-Z-A-N. I'm sorry, V-I-O-Z-O-N. It's on Amazon. It's like 40 bucks. And it's a, um, it looks like an iMac foot, you know, like one of those, the, the, the foot that the iMac sits on, it's that curved metal. And the top has got this clamp that you can stretch out and put over. And it's got two attachments when you buy it. So you can attach it to the 10.5 or 9.7 inch iPad or the bigger 12.9. And the way Jason took his picture is what got me interested because he had turned it so his um, iPad was in portrait mode. And he talked about how he likes to write with a Bluetooth keyboard and he puts his iPad Pro in portrait mode. And you know what? It just, for some reason, that really called out to me. And there's a, there's like a down, there's a part in my house where that would, that would actually work. And for the longest time I've worked on my iPad at that downstairs desk with just a, um, a smart keyboard. So, uh, but I've never been super happy with the viewing angle and I just decided I was going to spoil myself. I had, uh, around the house, a Logitech K760 wireless solar keyboard which is a great little keyboard. It's got um, three Bluetooth radios in it. So you can connect it to your iPad, your Mac and your iPhone or your Apple TV. That's what we use it for downstairs. We use it for the Apple TV and I used it for my iPhone. So I went ahead and added the, the iMac to it as the third radio. And so I put that keyboard in front of this cool stand and then I turn my, my iPad to portrait mode and uh, Jason and I were slacking each other about it. it. It really feels like the old timey Macs, you know, like the old, the ones with the handle in it, you know, the original Macs for some reason, the size of the screen, the orientation, it's just a very different feel. And for a lot of the stuff I do, uh, like I can, I write a lot in Ulysses, both legal and Max Sparky stuff. The next book I'm working on is in pages. So I can actually get a lot of work done on this little kind of setup and I, I really like it. So I've only had it about a week now, but this is kind of fun. If you're interested in trying to do something different with your iPad, check the standout. We'll put it in the show notes. All right. Well, I think, uh, I think that's going to wrap us up for another MPU plus at least, at least for this month. Uh, who knows what we'll be back with next month with all their new ideas. Well, I mean, we've got the Apple note now, so, I we, know. Can just, so we can just start I'll, filling it up. I'll start putting stuff in tomorrow. There you go. We do want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Setup, Omni, and Fujitsu. And if you've got things you want to add, you can send them to us on Twitter using the hashtag at or at hashtag AskMPU. 
Uh, the show is at Mac Power Users. I'm Katie Floyd, and he is Max Sparky, and we will see you all next time. <laughs>